0: It was a delight to speak again with the incredible Amy Green. This is actually our second interview and I think that you'll really enjoy it. For those that are not aware, Amy is the founder of The Wellness Strategy. She's a published author, speaker, facilitator and coach, and a leader in improving workplace culture and well-being in schools and organisations. As a past teacher and a school leader, Amy is determined to change the way we view well-being to support our everyday and workplace needs with a background in teaching and leadership and having studied human behavior and positive psychology amy brings to the well-being space a fresh approach to what can be a sensitive topic i hope you enjoy this chat with the brilliant amy green Amy Green, welcome back to the podcast. It is lovely to uh lovely to see you again. What's been happening in your world?
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Um lots. I just want to say lots has been happening um personally, business-wise, in terms of, you know, working and connecting with schools and educators. But just lots in this space anyway. Um it's it's great, but yeah, lots of moving parts.
0: Nice, nice. And before we get into it, uh, is your coffee order still the same as what it was when we spoke last time?
1: You know what? I'm actually not drinking coffee at the moment. Right. Uh, Tell me um, more. That's interesting. It is. So actually doing some work with a naturopath because I've had some throat and voice issues like many yeah. teachers um, do. And I've had a few things go on and we looked at you know, foods and compatibility and what kinds of things might be causing that. And it turns out coffee seems to be something that gives me a little bit of an irritated throat and so no coffee for me since September.
0: Right and and tell me about that I've just finished listening to an audiobook, uh, I think it's by Michael Pollan about caffeine and about the impacts of caffeine and it's uh, it's quite confronting so tell me how you're feeling uh, yeah. did you, was it hard for the first couple of days or yeah
1: uh, it was hard for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> so wow. I'm not—I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I have a really strong, long black in the morning. I wow. already knew it wasn't great to drink coffee like as soon as you wake, so I would try to wake a good wait like 45 minutes to an hour before I was having that coffee. But we've got a coffee machine at home. My partner's wow. yeah. amazing at making coffee, and and so I loved having that. Um and then I may have a second one during the day but you know that probably was only once or twice a mm. week what wasn't constant but I struggled I was in struggle town for probably the first 4 weeks I was like I can't do this I I can't stop like this is really hard and then once I got to about 6 to 8 weeks I noticed I was sleeping better I was waking not lacking in energy i mean there's always that window where you're you're supposed to be tired when you wake up yeah yeah. in your body but like once that passes i feel like i'm ready to tackle the day more and now i don't feel like i need it in the morning i i um i don't miss that as a kickstart to my day i kind of miss the social side of it and just a nice coffee um especially over you know december january when i had family visiting and friends because that's what you do Um, But I've learned to drink tea and I've learned to, you know, drink kombucha or green smoothies and that's fine.
0: And is this, um, are you caffeine free or are you you drinking caffeine free tea or do you get your caffeine hits from a uh, English breakfast?
1: Um, Well, I drink lots of herbal teas, but I can't have green tea. So I know that that would normally have a lot of caffeine in it. But I've actually started using some different mushrooms like lion's mane and and um uh yeah but um reishi mushrooms and a few different things to help that way and i will say taking some lion's mane if you have to do some focused work or really want to concentrate that has been a game changer
0: right a couple of people that i've interviewed recently have actually um spoken about lion's mane and i'd love Mm -hmm. to try it um and i've heard it really does that and i know you can also get uh mushroom coffee yeah. Um, which I yeah, and, and it's interesting that you, you raise the social aspect of grabbing a coffee, because I think that is probably the hardest thing. Like, I, I actually enjoy going into a coffee shop and yeah. sitting down and talking to people. But um, you've definitely inspired me to uh, uh, to maybe cut down a little bit on caffeine. Um, yeah, I
1: would say cut down yeah. slowly. Don't go hardcore like I did. Um, yeah. Of course you have to, but yeah.
0: <laughs> would you say head. Amy, would you say you are a um, kind of an all or nothing person? like if you're gonna change something in your life or you're going to go in a certain direction, do you feel like you're you're more of a rip the bandaid off quick kind of person?
1: Yeah, I think I'm like, once I decide to do something, I would action it pretty quickly. And if yeah. I did have a transition period, it would be very short. Yeah. Know? But like, let's just do
0: this. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And um, is there, I'm just wondering, is there any items or an, an item on your bucket list that you're still uh, wanting to tick off?
1: Oh, there's so many. There's so many countries and things I, I haven't traveled to and books I haven't read and all of those things. But the, the first thing I thought of when I um wanted this question was, um climbing or going through Machu Picchu I'd really love to do that that's um on my list and so is anchor Wat. They're, they're two things I want to be able to see in this lifetime
0: I think I might have mentioned this last time we had a conversation that one of our best family holidays I went in with my wife was uh to Machu Picchu and we had the privilege of walking the whole of the Inca Trail there was a component where you could get dropped off uh and you could walk up or you could walk the entire way and it was it was amazing. It was a, a very cheap holiday. We had no money. Um, I think it was the first time that we uh, that, that I was getting paid in the holidays as a teacher. And I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get paid. So it was this really kind of exciting adventure. And Machu Picchu is absolutely breathtaking. And if you get yeah. a chance, I would highly recommend it. We made the mistake of going in the wet season because it was cheaper. Yeah. Uh, I probably wouldn't recommend that. I think we were probably wet for about a week. <laughs> Um, which was yeah, lots of fun. Um, Amy, I was just wondering, and I asked you this question again uh, uh, last time. But is there a, a book that you've recently read uh, since we last spoke that has caused you to uh, maybe just stop and and reconsider a few things in your life? It could be within your sphere of expertise, or it could be more broadly.
1: Um, I actually just finished listening to How to Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty.
0: Right. Yes.
1: I know it's like a popular book and you can get it, you know, in Kmart and it's everywhere. And so I will admit for a little while I was like, oh, you know, probably don't need to read that. Like it it seems like stuff I would know. But I really enjoyed it. I mean, him reading it makes it even more magical. But the the practices and the principles in it, I just found myself going, yeah, I want to be a monk. Like that's exactly what I stand for. That's what I teach. That's what I embody. Like if there is one self-help book that I think people should read right now, it's that.
0: Yeah, and and what was it in particular? I mean, I'm assuming, and I may be wrong, that but you mean a monk in a uh, metaphoric sense of being able to uh, 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 shut out distractions and do some some deep work. But is there something more meaningful for you in that in that concept of monkhood? Or yeah,
1: I think it's that you know sometimes we look at you know monks who you know when they meditate and they're in service yeah. and they're part and they and they connect with community as. Something that is so far from us. But what I loved about how this was broken down is that it was all of the principles applied to our day-to-day life and what we can action and live. So simple and so easy. And I think to hearing Jay's experience about him living with monks and thinking he was going to become a monk, and then realizing that his his path was actually to share this with the rest of um, people who aren't monks and come back to, to this space and do the work that he does now, but still take some of the principles around you know like um, meditation or breath work or reflection or silence and how all of those things are just love really that. vital to our own well-being yeah mm-hmm. I loved it
0: I love that I, I recently uh, listened to an interview that he did with um, Michelle Obama I think oh, yeah. and it was um, it was amazing I mean I, I just I, I I absolutely adore her I think she's just incredible um, but I I just love the way that he worked through the questions that he had for her. And I thought it was a really um, a sensible and also sensitive um, interview in the sense that he was able to, to really listen. And he was very, uh, very monk-like, uh, definitely in those moments. It was really wonderful. Um, so Amy, a final question for people that don't know you and have been living under a rock and, and mm. sort of haven't discovered your work. Uh, what is it uh, exactly that you do?
1: Yeah. um, Sometimes I struggle to answer this when people ask because I do lots of different things, but ultimately I'm here to help redefine and reshape and help people rethink what schools and workplaces look like so that staff wellbeing can be centre and thrive. And that encompasses a whole lot of things from everyday personal wellbeing to um, workplace wellbeing and the different components that make up that. But it also can include things like systems and structures, processes, and how we work more productively, but also how we connect and collaborate and are kind and remove judgment and be nice to one another.
0: Amazing. And I'm very aware. aware. I know people can't see this video, but I was talking about being present for an interview and trying to find a charger for my laptop. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I appreciate that. Um, it's really important. And uh, as I said, for those people that, that aren't aware, and I'll link to our original uh, conversation, in our show notes, um, you started off your life uh, as, a, or not started off your life, you, you were a career, uh, you had a career in education. And uh, what was that like? And why did you decide to take the very brave decision to pivot into what you do now? Because teaching is a very safe, secure, Reliable, um, in many ways predictable employee, uh, 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 uh employee. Uh, sorry, a predictable job. So, why did you choose to pivot, and um, was that scary at all?
1: Um, hugely scary. And I love teaching. I, the, it's the start of the year where everyone goes back and they set up yeah, their class, yeah and there and I am to in schools and people are doing things and they're excited to meet their new team and I'm seeing that, but I'm not a part of it. There's a huge part of me that misses that what and wants to experience and I think oh I would love to go back to the classroom. I I didn't leave and I didn't kind of take the leap to do this work because you know I thought the system was broken or I hated the profession or I needed to get out of the classroom. To be honest what happened was people kept asking me to do this work and I tried to balance both for as long as possible. You know I went part-time um, and then I went to relief teaching and then I just couldn't hold on to that teaching element anymore and do this yeah. work. And so had to make that decision to let it go it was really scary definitely um yeah. but also hard like
0: my heart broke a little bit yeah and and i think that's a and i feel like you are um i mean obviously you're so involved in schools and we're talking a little bit about your sort of travels around australia that you've undergone uh, uh visiting different schools and doing pl with people and all of that kind of wonderful stuff but it's I feel like you'll always be a teacher and teachers. Um, I, I do feel sorry for the partners of teachers, like my lovely wife. Uh, uh, I feel sorry for it because we all, always end up talking about what's happening in schools and she has just has just had enough of it. Is that the same with people in your family? Do you from a family of educators or um, what's that like? What's that experience like for uh, your other half?
1: Well, my other half is actually a teacher. So
0: right. okay. we
1: met in a school working together. Right.
0: interesting. Actually,
1: yeah, we worked in three schools together in wow. like nearly 13 years we've been together. Um, and my sister is a TA in New South Wales, but I'm hoping right. to start her teaching degree this year. So right. it's around me enough for me to be able to fill my cup in that space. And I still do a little bit of tuition with some, um, with some children in the neighbourhood whose families I know who have asked me to help them out with maths lessons and things and so I do that when I'm around and when I can as well so I stay connected to the teaching element and um what what's up what's happening in education and my sister only rang me today actually to talk to me about what are some things we could do with um this maths lesson so I'm still I'm still hanging out there
0: yeah that's good do you um I mean you mentioned before that you missed it uh and you said that it is a little bit more challenging in the beginning of the year when you're seeing people posting photos of their new classrooms and all of the wonderful things that you're doing but you must. I mean, you spend a huge amount of your time uh, in schools, um, so you must still get to get those positive feelings, but without, I guess, the responsibility of dealing with behaviour and all those other challenging things.
1: Yeah, I suppose I don't. The one thing I don't have is that connection with students. Like lots of the yeah. work I do now is with adults, and so it's not quite the same. I mean, I I love all of the people I work with, but it's yeah. not. Of course, it's it's not the same though as watching a student grow over yeah. a term or a year or. Um, doing something one day and thinking I can come back tomorrow and try this differently because I'm in and out or um, sometimes I'm more facilitating sessions but then you know I'm a big believer that our leaders and our wellbeing committees in schools are the ones that should drive the change and create action. So I support them to do that, but then they go and do the cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I kind of miss out on some of those aspects where I think, oh, I, I do, I say, oh, can you send me that so I can have a look? Or can you call me after and let me know how it
0: was? Yeah. Yeah. So what have you been doing? Um, uh, what have you been doing uh, with sort of with your travels around Australia? Tell me about some of your amazing PL that you've been running. And um, I, I, I can't keep up with what you're doing. I thought I had a, busy life but uh yeah
1: yeah busy one word but also <laughs> it has been rewarding and fulfilling I've been all over the country um this year I live in Brisbane and I've done some PD in Brisbane but I popped over to Perth and been to Canberra um, I've been in Gippsland area and Echuca and Townsville I've been all over and different places online as well most of what I've been doing has been a PD data on board. Our new schools that are stepping into our workplace wellbeing excellence program, and that's a one or two yeah. year partnership where we we look at a whole bunch of things in their school around, you know, what's happening in regards to staff wellbeing. We use different um, platforms and um, to collect qualitative or quantitative data, uh, and we head down the path of creating a really meaningful and contextualized staff wellbeing framework, among other things. So we we started with the PD days. Uh, which are really a well-being reset, getting everyone on the same page, building that shared understanding, hmm. and really giving people time and space to explore what well-being is rather than jump to strategy really quickly or 10 things to do. Um, and that's that's the right. start and we build from there. Yeah. So, um, Amy, I'm just
0: wondering, like, what are some of the misconceptions about well-being? Uh, because I mean, as you know, uh, and I, I I will put a link to your uh, incredible book in our show and I, and I don't want to steal too much of its thunder, but um, yeah, what are some of those misconceptions? Because quite often, once a term staff do a well-being week and a morning tea, isn't uh, isn't that enough? Are we have we got it wrong somewhere?
1: Um, it's I think what we're finding, and certainly what I hear, is that we get to a point where we're doing all of these things and it's not working or you know staff morale can still be low or we get our school satisfaction surveys back and staff well-being comes through as an area to address yet no. if you look at it in terms of what what's happening we do morning yeah. teas every friday and we have well-being weeks and we do a yoga class twice a term yeah. but the problem is those those reactive or really subjective well-being things that we put in place and usually it's leaders or a social committee that are implementing those things they, they're doing two things. One, it's um, because they're nice and fun mm-hmm. and, and, they look yeah. good and we want people to do it. Or we do it in a space of, oh, everyone needs to pick me up. So let's put on an extra morning tea or cancel a, me- a, a, a meeting this week. Yeah. It's great to do those things. And I would say definitely keep doing them. But when all we do is that, what we're not doing is addressing the cause. We're not know. finding out why. And when we don't do that, we're kind of guessing. We're thinking, yeah. oh, meeting three weeks and some chocolate cake will fix everyone. But we know long-term it doesn't. And so we're missing the piece around, let's actually right. ask our staff what's going on so we can put sustainable solutions in place rather than just, you know, lunch on a Friday.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine that some of these sort of short-term fixes like a, a being week or a, a morning tea, while it's lovely, you, you'd feel better momentarily. But as you said, it doesn't really get to the, the root cause of the problem. Um, so what are some of the things that schools can sort of consider as they're beginning to unpack their kind of longer term well being strategy? Because I would imagine those things are um, a little bit harder to quantify in some ways. Um, but do you have any suggestions on on how schools can start to take a sort of a much longer approach um, in terms of well being?
1: Yeah, definitely. The first thing, um, and I do this with schools I work with, but, if you know, and this is definitely something people can try in their own school is ask your staff, you know, ask your staff what is working well to support their wellbeing, uh, what are those really tangible and specific things that you can identify so you can keep them going or or dial them up or whatever it might be. And then ask your staff, what are the challenges? What are the things that impact staff well-being, Where are the obstacles? What are the things that cause them stress or keep them up at night? Or what are the things that they gossip about that they wish were different, but aren't brave enough to say out loud? Let's say yeah. them out loud. And then let's use that to have a discussion around and what would some of the solutions or strategies be? Because that's going to give you the most meaningful data for your context. Yeah, now I can share some things that I've Noted which are patterns across the numerous schools I've worked with, but it's very different in every single school because schools are so different, which is great. But also, in sometimes it goes against us in being able to, you know, from where I sit to be able to see if every school just did these 10 things, it would be fine. Well, I don't know that because every school, we have a different number of students, our teams work differently, we teach differently, non contact is organized differently, we have different priorities, different leaders. There's just so many different things happening. It's not do this and you'll be you'll everything will be great
0: yeah and and i love that your approach seems a lot more tailored to individual schools as opposed to like you said some sort of a a checklist of what we should be doing i, I love that it's very personal do you think um uh, there are some structural challenges with schools because i think about the number of uh teachers that are on say temporary contracts or that are um like I said employed short term sometimes that is hard isn't it to to lift your hand up and say hey like I'm really struggling with this because you want to especially when you're a temporary teacher you want to really be able to show competence and sometimes when you put your hand up and say this is really difficult that can be maybe perceived as being incompetent um but what do you, what what are your thoughts I don't think it should be at all but what are your thoughts on that how do we get past that kind of um how do we sort of redefine that culture in schools a little bit
1: Yeah, it hugely speaks to culture. And I think we need to make this distinction that um, wellbeing is culture and it is about culture and it is a part of culture. They're not separate. And we want to break down the stigma that asking for help or identifying challenges or saying, hey, I'm not having a great week, mean that the person isn't a good educator or isn't right for the job or the school or is not going to be able to come out the other side. We all have moments where we're like, I can't do today or... you know, like I just can't adult or I'm just not functioning or everything seems to be going wrong. And when we suffer in silence Mm. and create a culture that says uh, you you shouldn't ask for help, or if you ask for help, someone's going to judge you. We're really putting our staff in a position that says we don't value them as people. And we need to, we need to create a culture of what I call speak and seek. So we really, people speak up and also we seek out how how people are and what's going on and where they might need support and it just starts to become the normal
0: mm. and
1: we we do it in a way that is really non-judgmental because we don't know what is going on for someone we don't know their circumstances we don't know their experiences and just because we might think well I've done that before so you know they should just be able to get on with it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that they can't do it. It just means that they might need support or scaffolding, and so we need to remove ourselves from when someone asks for help, and just know that they need help, and that's enough.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's really, um, uh, really, really important, Amy. And 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 it's about I think that that's why, in many ways, sorry, that's why your work is just so significant because it's um, we have to be able to pro- provide a space, safe space, to be able to ask these questions and have yeah. a conversation. And there's no point in kidding ourselves. I mean, the statistics and in uh, a teacher attention are, are pretty, um, pretty poor. Um, and so something needs to be done. And it's really incredible that you are really at the forefront of these conversations and that you're normalizing it because I think too many people suffer in silence. Um, Amy, I was just wondering, um, and this is getting a little bit more uh, personal now, like did, what are some of the things that you notice um, uh, in your life when things are out of whack? Um, I know previously you mentioned that You love going for a walk on the beach with your dog, and um, and just having a nice going to the gym as well. But what are some of those things that you notice are kind of warning signs or red flags for you to go? Okay, something's not right here. I need to reevaluate this.
1: Um, I get I get really tired, so I feel I know I don't have the energy uh, to be able to do things. I get irritable, uh, so I like things will frustrate me more than they should, and I can't let things go. I also become really obsessed with the house being tidy and clean. Right. I'm nitpicking at things and I want everything done and I can't switch off and um that is a pattern that I've had from a very long time ago and it's probably linked to the idea of um I share this when I talk about rest you know in in the house I grew up in you couldn't rest until everything was done and mm, we couldn't watch a movie on a saturday afternoon until the house was tidy and we weren't allowed to sit still because, you know, productive, successful people don't sit around doing nothing. So find something to do. And when I am in a space of needing to rest or and because that's really what we need when it, when it comes to well-being, resting, whether that is through doing nothing or whether it's through movement or whether it's through meditation or whether it's through being social, I notice that my inner story is you should kind of keep working and push through that. Yeah. And so then I want to keep myself busy and find things to do. And it's become a real art to just let that go. And just yeah. be like, actually, you don't have to. You can stop. It's okay. Um, you're yeah. tired, you can feel it, you're becoming obsessed over things that don't need to be done right now. They're not urgent. Yeah. So let's just like pause and take a breath. Um, yeah. and that's I've had to learn how to do that.
0: Well, I love that. And I um in your brilliant book, um, Teacher Wellbeing, I think it's on page fifty-six, you talk about the importance of creating an our own ideal average day. Um mm. and I love that. And that's an exercise that I um I do frequently. And so what would your ideal average day be? If you could, what are some of those big wins that you'd like to do each day?
1: Um, You know, I I feel like I live my ideal average day. Right. Yeah, which has been a skill to develop. Um, It's definitely when I'm at home, I'm a home person. That is my ideal average day to be at home. Um, And I, I have a morning routine when I do it well, it makes a huge difference to how I feel. And includes like drinking I drink a lot of water, um, filtered water as soon as I wake up. Um my meditation, my breath work, my journaling, I go for a walk, I go to the gym. We just bought an infrared sauna. So if I can squeeze that oh, in before that's the day great. starts, that's an added bonus to the morning routine. And then I think about my work day and I my ideal average day now includes being flexible with my work. So being able to pick the tasks that I need to do. Maybe I've got a couple of meetings or a delivery session. I move things around but now it's even having the opportunity to have a break during the day or um, take a nap. I had a nap at 9.30 this morning. I didn't know if that was too early, but I didn't sleep well last night. So
0: That's not (laughs) not too too early. early. I'm all about that. If I could do that, I'm all about that.
1: I'm all for naps too. And so it's, you know, being able to play with these things, which is very different from being an educator. And I, when I first started working for myself, was very strict on the, the nine to three work hours because that was kind of ingrained in me. And so I, my ideal average day has evolved and I've had to learn to navigate that because I want to sit at the computer from nine to three because that's what we as educators we do, we work then. Um, and then in the evening, you know, going for another walk or doing some reading or doing some painting or a puzzle, checking in with my partner, sometimes calling one of my siblings, that's having that. some TV time, just nice and easy and chill.
0: nice. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it seems like you put a really high um, value on things like flexibility and autonomy and being able to make those choices yourself, which is really, um, really admirable. And I was just wondering, for those people that um, that are in classrooms and maybe don't have that autonomy, what would be some of your suggestions on how people can begin to um, I'd be a little bit more intentional with how they spend their day because I feel like in some some points in, in in the term I have a lot of autonomy and others I don't but I've still found that whatever um part of the term that I'm in I've still find that found that really useful to actually be intentional about the day but that was a very long-winded question but what suggestions would you have for people that maybe don't have that flexibility
1: yeah I I fully recognize that I have Let's call it a little bit of luxury in terms of the flexibility I have now. I still do things that I I'm don't. I'm sure you do.
0: still work incredibly hard, but like it's just. <laughs> sure. on, I, yeah, I'm your- not
1: saying running a business is easy. So. Yeah. Um, but I think if I was to go back to the classroom, this might hmm. be um a good way to kind of relate. I think I would be very different from how I operated when I left. So I would I would figure out what my morning routine needs to include before my workday starts, and I'd be pretty disciplined in that because. Yeah that's going to help me be really intentional with the feelings I want to cultivate with the energy I want to have and with the headspace I want to start the day in um so I used to cram a lot in I probably wouldn't do as much as I do now because I don't have I wouldn't have as much time and I'm not getting up at four o'clock in the morning to do that so if some (laughs) things have to go that's okay um but I'd also be really intentional with how I plan my day and my week in the schedule so for many for many educators, we have a timetable and we know mm. when we're teaching, mm. and we know when we're not teaching. We know when our afternoon staff meetings or team meetings might be, we know when we don't have meetings. I encourage a lot of educators, or I can encourage educators, everyone to be really intentional with those times. So using as many habits and rituals as you can in those non-contact periods. So if you, for example, know that Monday middle session, you don't have that's your non-contact time then I would allocate that time every Monday to I don't know looking at the week and making sure I've got all my resources ready and everything that I need um Thursday maybe Thursday afternoon you don't have a meeting I would say I'm just going to stay at school until five o'clock and I'm going to do everything I need to do for the next week so it's prepared the more we can be intentional with our, our moments at school, that's actually creating autonomy. And I think we have a lot of autonomy and flexibility in terms of how we use that time, how we use non-contact. Um, and, and if we can put some structure around it that suits us, then that's going to really help with well-being. The same as deciding, you know, maybe yeah. you're a morning person, you want to come in at seven and get stuff done. That's flexibility and autonomy that we can create for ourselves. Yeah. And I think we need to talk about that a bit more, be, be yeah. more intentional with designing that and, and yeah. leverage.
0: I've, um, I mean, I've learned so much from your work, but I'm also really obsessed with things like productivity and and how to, and not necessarily how to get more done, because I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested in how to do more of what's really important, and and the work by um, Professor Carl Newport. I'm not sure if you're aware. Yeah. Um, is it's just, it's just the
1: yeah.
0: deep work, and his conversations, uh, a podcast in which he's having conversations with listeners. It's just really wonderful. But it's made me think a lot more about um, being intentional um, with that time. I mean, I've really tried to limit the decisions that I make each day um, because cognitive load is a real thing. Um, And I've I've realised that, um, and I think Dr. Adam Frazier talks about this about micro stresses as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The amount of micro stresses that you may have, so your alarm goes off at six o'clock in the morning, you can't find your socks, you're a bit annoyed, you've lost your keys. So by the time you get to school, you're already at a 10 out of 10.
1: You're like wired.
0: Exactly. You are ready to go. You're cranky because you're trying to come off caffeine and it's just too much. And so it, it's a, um, for me, really trying to uh, eliminate those stresses and those pain, uh, pain points in the day so that I can actually save that time for, um, for what matters most. And and as well, coming home, like um, I, um, and once again, Dr. Adam Fraser talks about the third space, I'm sure you're aware of that, but standing outside the front of my door, and I do this um, most nights and go, what sort of husband, dad, what sort of person do I want to turn up like today? And quite often it's phone going away, connecting with my girls, giving my wife a hug, just Being present, and I don't know if you can relate to that, but it's really difficult. I think to uh, when you've got a million things happening, a million notifications, and people messaging you random things that aren't important, it sucks your attention away from what matters most. Um, Do you have any of those kind of routines or evening practices that um, enable you to sit down to a puzzle, connect with your partner, watch a movie? What are some of your strategies around that? Because as teachers, our job is 24 7 um yeah what's your yeah thought?
1: I think you know there's always something to do right always,
0: always. And it's, never, do. it's never enough it's never enough never right?
1: enough it's never ending you can always find something else and so you have to make a choice around what is enough exactly. and being okay with knowing that you've done enough and then just being where you are and if you are at home with your family then you're at home with your family so I do a few different things my my office is actually in the garage, so we've yes. connected the garage into the office, so it's way down the other end of the house and it's its own room. And when I finish and turn everything off and walk out, I walk out. And that's what that. I love about it is I don't walk past it at the front of the house, so I don't come down here. Um, but we have a few what I call rules in our house, and I share that it. Right. Share this when I do PD days. Um, so one of our rules is at about 7, 30, 8 o'clock, we are on complete wind-down time. And so that's like lights go off like bright lights go off we might just have a hallway light on or a lamp um it's no phone time so devices are, are away we're done with that um it's it's really chill time so we're watching something light on TV we're connecting um with one another my partner and the number one rule is no what no conversations that require my brain to actively function so no conversations about work no conversations about finances no conversations about what do you want to do on the weekend no conversations about holidays like I'm just so aware that as soon as yeah. we start those conversations, I'm back in like, ooh, thinking mode. And that impacts our sleep. That impacts our ability to rest. And so it's being present, it's being where you are, letting everything else go, but also knowing that that evening time is so pre-, you know, I if you want to have a great day tomorrow, it starts in the evening.
0: It starts I love the night. That. And it's made me very grateful that you would talk to me uh, on a Thursday <laughs> evening because uh, I know that it's probably wind down time in your house. Um. Amy, I'm not sure, sorry, I'm sure you're aware um, that there's a lot of discussion in the media about um, people's right to disconnect from work. Um, It's only something which has come up in my feed today. So I I don't really have, well, I do have an opinion. I just haven't thoroughly researched this one. But what are your thoughts on that? Um, Do you think we have a right to switch off? I
1: mean, I think we totally have a right to switch off. But a, I think it's a
0: silly question. I know I thought you
1: might say that, yeah. But it's not as simple as that because we're yeah, talking yeah. about people's ingrained behaviors, we're talking about values, we're talking about mm-hmm. workload. But then what, the, the conversation also comes what I, what, this is my opinion, is that yeah. we talk about switching off, but then we also talk about autonomy, we also talk about flexibility, we also talk about work from home. Like there's a mm. lot of pieces there that maybe don't align unless we're clear about them. So I think before we say, you know, I'm not a fan of rules like no one send emails after 5pm or um, schedule send between 8 and 4. I, that just I think goes against the okay. idea that, that we choose to work how we want to work and what suits us best. I'm a morning person like I can sometimes be on my laptop at 6 in the morning um, working away and sending emails and getting stuff done and that that works for me. If we adopt this idea that Everyone has a right to switch off, and that means outside of the traditional nine to five workday, people shouldn't be doing work. That doesn't support the yeah. idea of flexibility. That doesn't support things like um, knowing when you work best. It doesn't. It doesn't support people. You know, you mentioned Cal Newport, and if we think about deep work, what if the best time for you to engage in deep work is between seven and nine a.m. and that's mm. when you get all your work done? So I think yes, we have the right to switch off, but we also need to be saying, and when would you like that to be? Totally. When is that for you? Yeah. Not it's between it's from 5pm until 9am the next day
0: yeah I like that and it almost seems like it um by giving people that hard start and finish time it's taking us back to a very sort of industrial model of working where you clock on and clock off and that's just not the case anymore and I think probably the the, the broader discussion around that is giving people the the choice for how they work and when they work and how they engage in work and um I, I'm really glad that we're moving away from that model of how much can you get done within a certain period of time to how much meaningful work are you engaging in? And I think that's um a much bigger conversation. Yeah, that came up on my feed today, and I thought, oh, I'll ask I'll ask Amy that and see so what she see so what she thinks. Yeah. And yeah, just wondering as well, like you've just recently launched a mentoring workshop for new teachers, which is wonderful and exciting and um very much needed. So tell me a little bit about that and uh um what's some of the work that you're doing in that kind of new teacher space
1: yeah so we we have a membership it's it's for new teachers but it's also for any educator you know any educator who really just wants to prioritize their well-being and have a space to be able to to know what that is and I think I I mentioned but what this really is about is not doing a whole bunch of stuff it's not about starting yoga it's not about not having emails on your phone or stop work after 5 p.m it's not about any of those it's actually about coming back to you know what is well-being to you how do you want to feel and who do you want to be um, in all of those different spaces of your life what matters to you what are your values and once you know that then we can move into action but it's where you become more intentional and the co-designer of what your well-being strategy your wellness strategy is and the the course that we have, you know, it's it's 12 modules, it's a, a 12-month access. We run different masterclasses or lives or Q&As as part of that as well. But it's really about giving people the skills and tools to be able to take some action themselves. And mm-hmm. I suppose filling that piece around, in, school leaders want to help and they want to do the best they can, but we're limited by, you know, budgets and PD days and time and all of those things. So this kind of came out of if we want to build personal wellbeing strategies, then what does that look like? And if we want it to support both everyday and workplace wellbeing, what are those pieces? And so that's what sits inside the course modules. And that's what allows people to be able to take what they need and action in their context and in their life and in their setting and around their right. own values and what works for
0: them. So what do you think are some of those sort of early successes that you're seeing? I know it's only a recent project, but what are some of those successes or some of those common uh, discussion points that, that that you're having with these teachers because I'm assuming it's across uh, different educational sectors and not just state schools or independent schools so yeah what are some of those commonalities and have you, have you seen any success with it yet
1: yeah absolutely no I did a very simple I did basically the same thing last year but we just had a rebrand yeah. um, as you do with the business um so we've ha- we've had quite a few people go through it and have really successful changes I actually had one participant who was casual teach Casual teaching because they were just struggling with teacher life and how it all was going together and now has a full-time job, um, which is great going through some of those things. Yeah, it's awesome. So, you know, getting teachers back into the profession rather than having them leave. Um, Sleep. Someone actually said to me the other day, I I was in a school and they said, oh, I I did this in your, one of your courses and I am learning to put myself to bed and it's made a huge difference. Um, So little things that we sometimes estimate. Um, People job crafting and thinking about how they want their day to look so people spending time being really intentional with designing their own timetable and when they're going to do work and um when they're going to have their play time or their rest time and following that through so we've seen lots of cool stuff and lots of brave educators taking we're well, going against the grain almost for what what it kind of looks like or what we're told it should look like
0: which yeah. I love. yeah that's great and, and I'm assuming this is a program that you're going to um uh, roll out um uh, continually, is that correct? So, are you doing it each year? Can people join a cohort now, or have they missed it? Or how do people?
1: We're work? actually going to move it also into a self-study online course. So right. sometimes it's the live sessions and the commitment that I get. We can't do. I know that's really hard. So I only made this decision today, actually. Right. Um, I haven't even announced it, but here we go. We're actually going to turn it into and like an an always available online course that you get 12 months access to um, and people will be able to do that at their own pace and it'll be fully supported with um, scaffolds in terms of dissertation access that this is the best time to do this module or this piece um, as well as impromptu masterclasses or Q&As when my calendar is making that available and we can do that. So it is something that will be available all of the time and we've had people join independently because they want to do it and we've also had schools sign people up. So there's there's two different access points there as well.
0: I feel like I've just got an inside scoop uh, to, to your plans. That's um that's really, really um significant Amy and I think it's uh it seems to be the way that a professional learning is moving, uh, that on-demand um, uh, component and and that's one of the many reasons I started this podcast is because I think so many of us have sat through um, various forms of professional learning and gone it's not really relevant to me now or I could be picking up my kids or I could be at the beach or whatever but then it's not until down the track when you listen back you go oh that is actually meaningful and so I love that idea that there's an um, on-demand platform that you're launching where people can access that for that 12-month period and can re-listen to things that are meaningful because I feel like it's like a book you can read it at one point and it says something to you and then months later you read it again you're like oh that's a new a new revelation or a new idea that I'm getting from that so that's um that's really significant and um I'll make sure I put the link to, to all of that stuff in the show notes so people can access it um so amy where do you sort of see the uh, the landscape of of educational wellbeing moving to do you think and obviously covid completely changed everything uh, in terms of um uh, well-being and also how we access resources and communicate online But where do you see this landscape moving Um, as schools? uh, Are you confident or are you sort of cautious or a little bit of both?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. But I think also we have no choice. Like we actually have to change and evolve. We have already wasted too much time. We already don't have enough educators. Um, And I think we're trying to hold onto this version of school and education that no longer serves the workforce, that no longer serves Um, What our students need, which we know we've known for a really long time, and that actually no longer aligns with how other workplaces operate. And so we're we're trying to hold on to something that really came out of industrial revolution that was designed for a certain purpose, and we've got to let that go. Uh, And in, I don't think we can sit and wait for the system to change and tell us what to do. I think we have to start being creative in our own schools and use the autonomy we have. And we're seeing examples of things like that happening. Or well, I'm, I'm certainly seeing different things and leaders thinking outside the box, which is great and taking those risks and being brave. But um, I think, yeah, I, th- I think right now what we have to appreciate and understand is that we're in what I call a transition period. Like we yeah. know that. The way that we have been schooling and teaching and working in, and how teachers have been, um, I suppose, utilized in the profession is not current. We also could dream about what it could look like in five or ten years time, and create these magical places that um, teachers thrive in and that are wonderful workplaces. And I think we're starting to see that. But right now, we have to know that we're in this transition, this icky middle, and we're 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 moving away from what it was to where it, what it will become. But we're not there yet, and so we have to be okay with just you know I don't I don't like the, necessarily want to say change is slow and use that as an excuse, but we're talking about big system things. Um, even within schools, and those things do take time. And so we've got to be prepared to just sit in this transition space of, I know we're not going back there, but I also would love to be here, but we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, it, it's a tension, isn't it? And I think it's something which you seem to be navigating um, really, really well, that idea that you want to change the entire system, but it also takes a long time to to do something in a sustainable way. And also you don't want to arrive at the your end goal in a crumpled emotional mess because you've actually got like you are in many ways the um uh the the poster or the testimony for this if you're arriving at professional learning things looking knackered and exhausted and hating your life then you maybe should take some of your own medicine but uh, it's a little bit it's challenging isn't it and, and you mentioned um uh like i said you've been all around australia it's been a uh, i'm sure a wild ride but you, you mentioned as well that that even the the, the uh the even yourself being the kind of I guess the the in many ways the pioneer in this well-being space. Um you still felt it. You said that you felt kind of pretty stressed and out of it and over oh. it. And so it, it's good to know that you're uh that 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 you're not immune. Um and uh yeah, has it been, I'm sure it's been pretty, pretty intense.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not immune to having um feeling like everything's falling apart. No yeah. human years. And I think that's perhaps one of the misconceptions with well-being. It's like if I do all these things, everything will be perfect and I should never be stressed and I shouldn't be overwhelmed and life shouldn't be hard. Well, life is hard because that is life <laughs> and you can't avoid it. I had a really um, intense few weeks with travel. As I mentioned, my favourite thing to do is be at home. So, you know, being out of routine and not being in my own bed and not having things around me um, was difficult, driving, going to different places, all of those things. And it really was my own narrative that kind of got in the way, um, and not having enough sleep. That mm. were the two things. Uh, and after, like, there was a point where I was like, "I'm not doing this anymore. I'm moving my Thai business online, or I'm shutting it down and going back to the classroom." I was very extreme in my, you know, well-being breakdown a few weeks ago. Good. Um, and it's kind of, not yeah. good you
0: were there, but it's good to know that you get it.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. I get that. Yeah, the I suppose the piece in it that we we skip past is coming back to like what I call that equilibrium point so for me that's really where I'm grounded and balanced and I'm in my normal routine and I'm like I'm functioning well here because once I was in that space I was able to say okay so what happened that made you fall apart like what was in your control what wasn't in your control what could you do differently next time what did you like what didn't you like how could you approach it when you live through it again because inevitably I will live through it again and so all I can do is think next time I'm gonna do this and I'm not gonna do that. And I'm gonna start prepping for that now and plan for that now. And that mm. means next time I'll be hopefully a little, if not a lot, yeah. um, not better, but more able to sustain that level of well-being that I know supports yeah. me than last time.
0: Yeah. I- I'm all about that at the moment, Amy, is that like that idea of like sustainable well being. And like I um I love running. I'm a little bit out of, uh, shape and habit, uh, at the moment. Um, but what I, <clears throat> excuse me, what I've tended to do is if I've got, excuse me, if I've got a race, if I've got something I'm doing, I tend to, um, uh, train at 150% for the first 16 weeks before and then crash in a heap. And then it takes me months just to get back to my base level. And so what I'm trying to do is really take more of that, um, sustained approach to health and fitness and well-being, as opposed to just going crazy for short periods of time. Um, But I really like that, um, what you're saying, Amy, about how we do need to take that longer perspective. I mean, life is stressful. I mean, I had a couple of moments today. I work in an incredible school with amazing teachers. But there were probably five points today that were particularly stressful. Um, But then you kind of get through it. Um, you know, and I, I've started asking myself this question. It's I think it's, um, I'm not not sure where it's come from, but it's the 10, 10, 10 rule. Like, is it going to matter in 10 minutes? Is it going to matter in 10 days? Is it going to matter in 10 years? And I, and I made a mistake, which is a bit annoying in 10 minutes it's probably still going to matter because you feel a bit silly in, uh, uh, 10 days, probably not so much. And in 10 years, no, one's even going to think about it. So I think just getting that perspective and going, okay. I may feel like this now, but this is not, this is not forever. And we can actually work through it. Um, and Amy, your work is, um, uh, truly, um, inspiring. And I said this last time we, um, we had a conversation and the last question I'd love to ask you, because I do want to be respectful of your, um, your time is, um, do you have a story of a teacher, uh, that, uh, changed your life and why? Oh, that's such a great
1: question. Um, I was not the best student in high school. (laughs) Um, And I had a math teacher I didn't get along with. And so for most of my last two years of school, I didn't go to math at all. I had an art teacher who was pretty cruisy and kind of just let me hang out there, Um, which as a 15, 16 year old uh, was kind of a, a big thing. She, I just used to have the key, keys. I should, point out if I should say this. I used to go into the, the classroom and um, do my thing. But she, I think, saw in me the fact that I could be independent and that I was um, smart and that I had things to offer. And there was never anything explicit in the way that I suppose she mentored me or gave me that space, but it was just that innate trust that she had in knowing that I could do the right thing and I could do what I needed to do and I would get stuff done. Um, and in some ways that that actually propelled me into um i didn't i didn't go to university and do teaching straight away i actually went in doing uh design and arts and design for theater and television and because i spent a lot of time in the art room and we did rocker stepford at my primary school and um my um, one of my friends and i at the time led that and we had a group of teachers do all of the paperwork and admin but we led the entire production Um, we did our own version of Super Mario Brothers. It was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so That's I suppose the, the different teachers that that kind of saw that, you know, what this person can do things.
0: Mm. And
1: in that, I think that, well, that is what essentially got me into university of um, that application and then I moved to teaching six months later. But it was just those those teachers that, that allowed me to be free in a way and didn't okay. hold me down with like curriculum and lessons and you have to yeah. know this, and do this from a textbook. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that, Amy. And um, all of the fabulous guests I've had the privilege of interviewing um, on the podcast, not a single person has talked about, uh, talked about content that they learned. They've talked about this feeling that they, um, th- this thing that they felt when they were with that teacher. So this sense of autonomy, this sense of bravery, this um, a teacher's ability to listen. And I think quite often people remember how we made them feel, not necessarily what content we covered. And yeah. um, Amy, where can people find out about your um, amazing work and stay in contact with you? Because there's some really exciting things coming up. Uh, so how can people make sure that they stay on top of that?
1: Um, I'm on pretty much all social media under the wellness strategy or Amy Green. I, my most active platform would be LinkedIn. I put a lot on there yeah. as well. But if you want to see behind the scenes in my personal life and what I'm doing, I do share quite a bit of my Instagram stories as well. Uh, and that like. I shared that I had a complete meltdown. So, you know, if you want to be up to date on my well-being meltdowns, that's where <laughs> they are.
0: <laughs> nice. I will I'll put the links to all of that in our show notes. And um Amy, as always, um it's an absolute pleasure to get to speak to you. Uh, you are a welcome guest anytime you have something exciting happening in your business. And so uh please uh, feel free to come on any time. But thank you so much for chatting to me today.
1: No, thank you. It's always a delight and I love our conversations. They're just they're just great and easy and, and so much fun to have.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast episode today. It's a privilege to get to share these conversations with you and continue to invest into our incredible profession. If you have a few moments, please do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or through whichever platform you're listening today. If you wouldn't mind also hitting the subscribe button and sharing it with your networks, it would really help to get the word out to as many educators as possible. There are different ways to connect in the notes below, including links to the website, the Facebook group, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. It means the world.